Welcome to the Shine Curious Podcast, where we explore sex, relationships, and self-love without having to hide your Google search history. I'm your host, Narendra Skanda, and join me as we demystify taboo topics and unlearn shame and guilt around basically looking for love. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Shine Curious Podcast. So first of all, I want to thank those who tuned in to the previous one and sent in their really sweet and encouraging messages. It is still kind of surreal for me to be speaking into this tiny mic, especially when I am a much better writer than I am a narrator. So bear with me while I'm still picking up the ropes on this. And um, it is a lot of fun though. So for today's episode, it is going to be an essay that is up on the blog. That's shyingcurious.com for those who come in through the podcast channels. Just to give a little recap, I have actually been MIA for the longest time, probably like seven months. My last personal essay was actually in July. And yes, I am absolutely embarrassed by it. But there's a perfectly reasonable explanation, which I am going to go into right now. So today's essay is actually called Talking to Myself, or Why Shine Curious Took a Hiatus. There's no clever opening line, nor I quip, or apologies for the absence of my voice for the past seven months. There's a plain and simple truth. I've been depressed. Since my last personal essay, Life became a shitstorm in all of its major aspects. Work, love, and family. It started innocuously enough, with feeling like there's never enough hours in a day to check off the endless list of tasks and deadlines. Oh, but Rin, isn't that adulting? As much as I love what I do, there was barely a moment to let anything sink in as I tick off my list before moving on to the next action item to execute. On Sundays, as soon as I saw the clock hit five and the skies began to darken, the little bubble of anxiety would rise from the pit of my stomach and get stuck in my throat for the rest of the evening. Nausea would follow, and then his good friend, migraine. Screw the Monday blues, it was the Sunday scaries that got to me. So in a bit to remind myself that there's more to life than work, I dipped my toes into the world of online dating again with Bumble. My good friends were sharing how they met their other halves on the app, so I figured there might be something there as opposed to my usual route of Tinder. However, instead of the refreshing escape I'd imagined, I ended up with an experience that resembled more of a sneaky push into the deep end of the pool and waving frantically for someone to save me. After months of going gold turkey on dating apps, I forgot how brutal on the heart and ego it can be. There were the promising chats that fizzled out with barely an attempt to meet in real life. Then the ghosters that pulled jump scares on my phone screen when they returned, just to say hi. You'll assume I'll be a pro at the dating game by now, but I was still desperately hanging on for dear life on the swinging pendulum of, does he like me? Does he like me not? Do I like him? Do I like him not? For his real self that I know nothing about but imagine him I project. In the midst of all that drama though, finally a glimmer of hope came in the form of a cute boy who was smart, funny, a great cook, amazing in bed, and can quote every line of Zoolander in two languages. 
Oof, I thought. Have I finally met my next boyfriend? Unfortunately, for reasons that he was very honest and upfront about, which I'm grateful for, we didn't make it to the third date. Well, it still took me weeks of wondering, why not, and bargaining with the universe to please let him change his mind. At least this time around, I made peace with it and told myself, okay, let's just let it go. If it's meant to be, we'll work out in the end. So while I was quietly licking my wounds, the universe then decided that I really needed to take the hint that my current version of life as is was destined to be a was once. Hence it blasted a 1000 lumen spotlight onto a shadowy aspect of my life that I don't like to venture to. My relationship with my father. At risk of sounding like a total cliché, you can trace every single belief I have about love and worth to daddy issues. I am the eldest daughter of an emotionally avoidant narcissist who married four women in secret at the same time. Well, five if you count him being a divorcee prior to marrying my mom. Ah, but that's my telling novella to share for another time. Until then, this is the episode when my father had a double stroke at home under my watch. Nothing truly prepares you for waking up to ten missed calls and the sight of your aged parent helplessly sprawled on the floor in soiled pants, let alone when the said parent is kicking and cussing at you to go to hell if you scream back at him to stop fucking moving around while you're still on the phone with the paramedics. He was spitting at me with such venom while I was trying to get his pulse because I wouldn't stop to help him get his wallet before the ambulance came. He'd wanted to pass me his ATM card so I could make a deposit to his wife whom he literally transferred money to three days prior when he had his other stroke. Yes, his other stroke. That stroke happened on Thursday, but he was sent back home on Saturday, when they couldn't find anything wrong with him at the hospital. Yet there we were the next morning, with my father lying on the floor and hitting me like a toddler throwing a tantrum. You go to hell. I don't fall down the bed. I just sit down and can't get up. There's nothing wrong with me. It's not a stroke. You go to hell. They say that strokes can cause a personality change and to take any bizarre behavior with a left cheek turn. I don't doubt that as he had never been physically violent to anyone in all this years. But I have seen him turn against my late mother in a similar tantrum before when things don't go his way while she was desperately still trying to make their marriage work. And it was at that precise moment, trying to keep him still while he was still wriggling around, that all my pent-up rage and grief repressed across the decades exploded at the men who abandoned his family, yet still expected a throne on a pedestal. I roared back in his face. What the fuck is wrong with you? Who do you think you are? As the last guttural scream left my lips, I walked away before I physically snapped and regretted. I knew that was it. I was done. My father survived the stroke and is now under the care of his other wife in Batam. Cliché much? Am I proud of what I did? Well, I wish that wasn't the last moment I will remember him by. Was it necessary? Yes. Ultimately, was self-preservation in the heat of the moment. He's a grown man who's made his choices and priorities clear a long time ago. We've been estranged ever since that day, 
and that's all I will divulge at this moment. That's also code word for you can read all about it when I finish my tell-all memoir. So yeah, guess who had two simultaneous mental meltdowns within a span of a month? That's right, this girl over here and her house of cards. The shitstorm that's morphed into a level 8 shit typhoon. If one is new to the world of tarot, you'll assume that the card that'll bring the most anxiety if it turns up in a reading would be death or contramanchurie. The tower card is your man to dread. The tower is a major arcana card that signifies a total wipeout of a key aspect in your life because it was built on a faulty foundation. It is depicted by the rather alarming scene of a stone tower collapsing in a fire as those stuck inside try to desperately escape. The reason why the cards come tumbling down in a tower moment is that it signifies that you've completed with this phase of life and ready for the next lesson. Be it love, work or family, the universe isn't going to give you any more gentle hints or tiny nudges. It's wrapping you up on your knuckles with a ruler and smacking back of your head because it wants you to reclaim and rebuild your life the way you truly deserve. These days, the shitstorm has mellowed down to just a passing drizzle here and there. If I'm being honest, I'm not totally out of the woods yet. There are days where I feel like my usual self again, joking and caring about the things I used to before the big D. Oh, honey, you made a pun. Then there are days where I'll wake up and it feels like lead in my chest and throat. Everything feels so heavy and I'm exhausted and also tired. And why me? I really want to hide. And wouldn't it be just nice to just run away to another country and wipe the slate clean and start all over again? Alas, my bank account disagrees. And of course, my friends and family, who's been steadfastly holding up the umbrella over me while the storm passes through, they wouldn't like that either. They've been my saving grace through the seven months of grief, rage, and disappointments. They're the ones who held the fort when I broke down and held my hand as we sat in silence. Looking back, that's all I needed really, to rest and be seen. A place where I don't have to be strong and independent for a while. A place in time where it's safe to retreat, cry, and wonder what's the lesson I can glean from this. Not having firm boundaries? Check. Not having an identity outside of work? Check. Still waiting for Prince Charming to come and save me? Check. Guilt from growing up daddy's girl and ostracizing my own mother? Check. Resentment at a patriarchal society where I'm still told my father is a good man because he provided when we were younger and I should take care of him? Check. Shame at myself for still not having my shit together compared to my peers. Absolutely check. Yet within all the possibilities of moral of the story moments I've had while I was a reclusive hermit, do you know which epiphany really struck me in the storm? That I'm still afraid to ask for help. My friends and family stepped in when they saw me drowning, but I had hesitated for so long to reach out. I was afraid of rejection, or worse, coming across as a winding ingrate for a life that was still good 80% of the time. Yet the day I had a session when my therapist gently said to me, it must be very difficult. I am very sorry you're going through this. I bawled like a baby. That simple act of acknowledgement broke me. 
I've been so terrified of being seen as a weak snowflake for my loved ones. In the back of my mind that I barely even noticed the fear when I kept things to myself. With so much going on, how can I be preaching self-love and empowerment when I felt so ashamed of being a complete mess? I took a pause on the blog then and took life one day at a time. It may seem pretty normal now, especially on social media, to have mental health under the spotlight and seen as an essential part of self-love. Yet, especially as Asians, we grew up with stoicism as a virtue. Don't cry, suck it up, deal with it. That seemed to be a mantra across the majority of Asian households, no matter the race or religion. Coupled with being raised Muslim and as a daughter, I've been endlessly lectured about how patience and sacrifice are the ultimate symbols of love. In this reality, patience is really just another name for tolerate. And sacrifice means the unjust you face because your mother kept quiet and dealt with it, because her mother kept still and sucked it up, and her mother's mother said nothing because it's her duty and she had no choice. These are the stories we inherit in our bones, and despite our best attempts to heal, they peek out once in a while to remind you that growth sometimes requires wiping the slate clean and starting again. But that's the beauty of it, as the storm tapers down and the muck gets washed away. You're never ever really starting from scratch again. You're starting with the wisdom of all those falls, failures, and follies. You have the battle scars to prove you've put the work in. And while life may not have turned out how you imagine it, you'll know how to react when the terrain looks familiar and your inner guide takes over. That's not all doom and gloom. You're also rebuilding that tower of yours up again with all the triumphs, joy and lessons gleaned from the dragons you've conquered. You've got this. Whatever form this takes. There's a line that's often used in a tarot reading. Take what resonates and discard the rest away. Obviously, as a liability disclaimer to avoid taking those predictions seriously. Yet, I find it oddly comforting as life advice too. I wish I took better care of myself last year, so I wouldn't have taken a breakdown to wake me up. But without that shitstorm, it wouldn't have hit me of how much of my identity was wrapped around in the external things that can be taken away. What's left behind when you're not your job? A daughter? A sister? a lover, or a friend. Well, then it's just you and that inner little you. I used to roll my eyes at the platitude, healing your inner child. My inner in can be quite a petty bitch who wants revenge on those who doubted and abandoned her. But if I hugged her a little tighter and let her anger recede, what remains is actually fear. The fear of being left behind for something she did, or being unseen for what she didn't. I think most of us do, and that's okay, because little Rin only knew what she did back then and she tried her best with what she had. For that fact alone, I love who she was and I'll love who she grow to be anyway. Even if it takes a few crumbling towers, shitstorms and total wipeouts for that lesson to sink in. So you've just listened to Talking to Myself, or Why Shine Curious went on hiatus and that is the latest essay that is up on the blog right now thank you for tuning in i know it was quite the heavy topic 
and um, not the easiest confession for for me to make. But it does show just how much I appreciate all those who stuck by me when I was going through all of that turmoil. And, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, why would I even bother to reveal all of this stuff? And, you know, would it be easier to just chalk it up as something that just happened and, and just move on? And yes, she's right. You know, it is much easier to just pretend that nothing's happened. But I wouldn't be practicing what I'm preaching, which is I ghosted you guys. And as much as I am totally embarrassed to admit it, but it wasn't very cool on my end. So that is why I am here to let you know what the fuck happened. So now... I'm curious about whether any of you have also had a similar tower moment. You can tell I'm pretty obsessed with tarot cards. If you also face a moment where everything just totally got wiped out and you had to start all over again, I'd love to hear your stories about that and, and how you overcame it and how you merged to the other side. So till the next time... Thank you for listening and have a great day.